Heavenly Father, God, we so desperately need you. We need you to teach us. We need you to inspire us. We need you to change our hearts and our minds. We need you, Heavenly Father, to revive us, to reform us, to convert us, to convict us. It's all you. And I pray desperately that you will be here, that you will be working in power, Father, that you will speak, that we will hear. We thank you for these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I'd like to do just very quickly a quick review of some of the topics that I shared with you before. The first time I came and shared with you, we talked about this question. Probably one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves as Christians. How can I enjoy God? The devil would have us to believe that the Christian life is one of self-denying, self-sacrificing drudgery, but that's not true at all. The Christian life is one of self-denying, self-sacrificing joy. Yes, it's a life of self-denial. Yes, there's the self-sacrifices there, but God is in the business of making it a joyful life, an abundant life, a free life, free to make our own decisions rather than being enslaved to ourselves and to the devil. And that's what God wants to do for us. And so we talked about this question, how can I enjoy God? How can I love God with all of my heart and mind and soul and strength? And we looked at this seed. We realized that even if you have a, a, an ideal growing environment, even if you go to church and even if you grew up in a good church and you have good Christian friends and good Christian family and you've gone to Christian schools, even if you have the ideal growing environment, that love for God just will not grow unless you have a seed. And that's what happened in my own life. So where does that seed come from? Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, the Bible tells us. Love for God can only come from God. Amen. And so why was it that for the first three decades of my Christian experience, that love for God did not grow in my heart? The reason was because was I did not open myself up to Him. I did not let Him plant the seed of love deep in my heart, which He so longed to do. And so we've, we learned that if you want to love God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength, you have to give God all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. We realize this basic foundation principle of the Christian life that no matter what the good thing is, only God can do it. Only God can give you faith. Only God can give you love for Him and for others. Only God can give you victory over sin. Only God can change your desires and your motivations. Only God can justify you. Only He can sanctify you. Only He can inspire you. Only God can do it. Whatever it is, only God can do it. But only you and I can let Him. Because God has given us a free will. He's given us the power of choice. He will never force Himself upon us. And so what He's he's longing for us to do is to just let him empty us of ourself, fill us with himself, and be almighty God in us. Isn't that what God wants? God would love to be almighty God in us. And the only thing keeping him from doing that is our choice, our power of choice. And so we looked at this problem of self. We looked at how naturally we resist God. We hold back we push back on God when, as he's battling to bless us. We hold up an umbrella as he's trying to lavish his goodness upon us. Showers of blessings are falling, but we're only getting the raindrops because there's little holes in our umbrella. We're fighting God as he tries to bless us. We realize that we do this naturally and we do this easily. This is our sinful nature. It's called self. 
And then we found that self is the enemy we most need to fear. No other victory we can gain will be so precious as the victory gained over self. So if you'd like to go back and review those messages and look at the other messages in the Delighting in the Almighty series, I'd like to invite you to check out my website, delighting.org. I'd like to invite you to go to audioverse.org if you spend a lot of time listening to sermons there. It's a great resource. Most of my sermons are up there. I still have some work to do, but I'm getting there. Uh, I'd like to encourage you to go back and look at this message of surrender. What does it really mean to live the Christian life in a life of surrender to Him? And so this morning, I'd like to continue on this theme of surrender because I've got a one-track mind. I'd like to continue on this theme of surrender. I'd like to talk about what that looked like in my particular life. I'm hoping that maybe it'll be inspirational, maybe it'll be encouraging to you. What did this surrender experience actually look like in my life? And before I do that, I'd like to share with you a parable of my life. Can I do that first? A short parable of my life that will help you understand my life a little bit better. And it's the story of Rich the poor man. Rich was a very poor man. In fact, he was so poor that he struggled to feed his family. He tried every day to find work, and he just barely eked out an existence, and his family often went hungry. But you know, Rich's life was not all one of struggle. He also had a hobby, and Rich's hobby was to collect rocks, because what else do you do with limited income, right? He collected rocks. He would find a pretty rock laying on the ground or an interesting shape or something. He would pick it up. He would take it home. He would polish it. He would organize it. He had this vast rock collection, and he would spend hours when he wasn't working enjoying this rock collection. And you know what he did? He took the cream of the cream of the cream of his rock collection, and he put it in a bucket and he carried that bucket with him wherever he went. He never wanted to see those out of his sight. He wanted to protect them. He wanted nothing to happen to those precious, worthless rocks. Everywhere that Rich went, the bucket went with him. The bucket went with him to work. The bucket went with him to the marketplace. The bucket even went with him to church. Everywhere that Rich went, the bucket went with him. So one day, Rich and his bucket were standing on a street corner in the city looking for work. And up walked this wealthy gentleman, and the gentleman said to him, Rich, tell me your story. And so Rich told him how he had lost his, his uh, business in a flood a couple years back, and since then they had been struggling to put food on the table. And you know, the guy felt so sorry for him that he said, I want you to come to my house right now because I want to give you some gold coins. And wow, that, that just made Rich's day right there. Wow, gold coins. I, I've barely even seen a gold coin. He's going to give me some? So he went to the guy's house, and the man ran into his house when they got there, and he came out with two heaping handfuls of gold coins, and he poured them in Rich's bucket. Can you imagine how Rich felt? Well, he probably felt rich, right? He thanked the man profusely. His gratitude knew no bounds. And then he ran all the way home, bucket and all. He burst into the kitchen, screaming out to his family, we're rich, we're rich, we have gold coins. Of course, they came running. But when they looked in the bucket, there were only three gold coins there. The bucket was so full that all the other gold coins had spilled out along the way. His, his wife looked at him and said, Well, uh, yeah, we do have some gold coins, and that'll be helpful, but you're just not going to make us wealthy. 
So they went out and they, they went on a, spent, a, a, a shopping spree and they bought all kinds of food. And you know, they had so much food that for the next couple weeks they were sharing with all their friends and family and neighbors. But eventually the food ran out, the money ran out, and they were hungry again. And you know, Rich began to think, this, this nice guy was willing to give me two handfuls. I only got three coins. I wonder, is it too much to ask if I went back to him if he would give me some more? He was kind of fearful. He didn't want to you know, be presumptuous. He didn't want to push his luck. But you know, after a while, he got a little bit desperate. And so he went to the guy's house, and he hesitantly knocked on the door, and the door swung wide open. And there was his wealthy benefactor there. And you know what he said? He said, Rich, I'm so glad to see you. Last time you left with a big pile of gold on the floor. And Rich said, yeah, I don't really know how that happened, but uh, I really appreciate that. I was wondering if it would be possible to get some more. And you got, the guy says, oh, sure, absolutely. He ran back into the house. He came out with two heaping handfuls of gold coins. He poured them into Rich's bucket, and Rich was ecstatic. He thanked the man profusely. He ran all the way home, burst into the kitchen, yelling out, we're rich, we're rich, we have gold coins. But when they looked in the bucket, there were only two. Two little coins nestled on the top. All the other ones had fallen out. You know, this happened several times. And once, when he went to visit the, the wealthy gentleman, the guy said to him, you know, Rich, if you were willing, I don't want to push you to do anything you don't want to do, but if you were willing to empty that bucket and bring it to me empty, I would fill it to overflowing with gold coins. And do you know what Rich said? He said, thank you so much. That is so generous, but I can't. I mean, these are my precious, worthless rocks. How could I live without my precious, worthless rocks? I could not. So, you know, thanks anyway, but no thanks. And so Rich went back with his few coins. But you know, Rich began to think about that. He began to say, you know, if only I was willing to just let... I'm tempted to say God there. If I would just let God empty me of myself, I could be wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. And the more he began to think about that, the more he began to resent those rocks in his bucket. Until one day, he said, this is it. No more of this. This is ridiculous. This is foolishness. So he took his bucket of rocks, he went deep into the forest to a place he'd never been, he dumped the rocks on the ground, he turned his back on the rocks, he walked away, and he never went back. Amen, right? And you know, if you go to that village today, you will see Rich going from door to door, knocking on the doors, and when people answer, you know what he says? He says, hi, I'm Rich. Would you like some gold? Hi, I'm Rich. Would you like some gold? I hear that you guys are doing an outreach program for your community, and I'm so glad to hear that, because that's what God is asking you to do, to go to your friends and your neighbors and your family and say, hey, would you like some free gold? Would you like to be rich? Would you like to be wealthy beyond your imagination with God's goodness? That's what you're inviting them to do. <clears throat> so that's the parable of my life. I was rich the poor man. I all my life had these, these precious choices in my life that I was not willing to give up. I could not imagine life without them. They were so precious to me that they kept me from 
emptying myself, letting God empty me of myself so he could fill me with himself. But the good news is, like Rich the poor man, God finally got through to me, and he finally got me to the place where I was, for the first time in my life, I believe, was willing and able to give him all of my choices in every area of my life all the time, to be emptied of myself so that I could enjoy him to the fullest. So now, let me share with you my story. I am a fourth-generation Seventh-day Adventist, and that has a lot of wonderful advantages. I um, was born in a good Christian home. Uh, my, my mother prioritized morning and evening worship with us. She woke us up in the morning, and she put us to bed at night with Bible stories from Uncle Arthur's Bible story set. In fact, by the time we went to Academy, she had read the entire ten-volume set to us 11 and a half times. I went to, I had wonderful church families throughout my entire experience. I went to incredible Christian schools from kindergarten to graduate school, well, first grade to graduate school. I had all of these blessings, and I was always the good kid, right? You know, the good one. That's me with the halo, that's me, right? I was the president of Adventists for Better Living in my academy. I was entrusted with the key to the administration building, the master key to the administration building. In fact, they probably put a lot more trust in me than they should have being an adolescent boy, but I was actually the maintenance man for the girls' dorm. I had an office in the basement of the girls' dorm. And that's probably too much trust to put into the, into the hands of an adolescent boy, but I never betrayed that trust. I was the good kid. I never did drugs, never did alcohol, never did premarital sex. In fact, I was so much of a prude when it came to sex that when my fiancé came to me a couple months before our wedding, and she said, Mike, I think we should practice kissing. Because otherwise, we're going to get up there in front of all those people, and we're going to make fools of ourselves. And I said, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm a quick study. But that's where I was. I was always the good Christian. I was always the good kid. I was an ordained elder in my church. I was a missionary overseas. Both my sons were born overseas. I was the good kid. But my friends, that was the outside. That was the, the outside, only the outside. The inside was a totally different story. On the inside, I was polluted by sin. I was a slave to addictions and bad habits. I had serious character flaws. And the, the, the tragedy of my life was not that I had these, because we all have these things. The tragedy of my life was I was a Christian. And I was not seeing any progress. I was not seeing any victory in my life. I remember over and over again sincerely pleading with God, God, give me victory over my besetting sins. And I didn't get victory. I didn't get victory. You know there's a wonderful promise in the book of James. Isn't this a great promise? Resist the devil and he will what? Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? It didn't work. I tried it. Didn't work. I tried resisting the devil. And do you know what he did? He laughed in my face and kept pounding away at me until he got through. And I remember asking myself, why do I even try? Why do I even try? But I want you to notice something about this verse I have on the screen. See those three little dots there at the beginning? What does that mean? It means there's something missing. So hold that thought. We're coming back to this verse. I was baptized at the age of 11 or 12. And although I grew up in a good Christian home and I had good Christian resources and good Christian pastors and teachers, I had a fundamental misunderstanding of what it meant to surrender my life to Jesus. 
I thought it meant that I would give God my one or two worst sins, and he would work on those for me, and then he would take care of them, and then I would give him my next one or two worst sins, and we would keep doing that until I gave him my little sins. That's what I thought. But after three decades of this, I still hadn't gotten victory over the first bad resetting sins. And not only that, but I had gained some new ones along the way. So picture this. Here I am, a Christian 30 years after my baptism, serving an almighty God who I'm proclaiming to be powerful and to be able to give us victory over sin. And here I am, in some ways, worse off than when I started. And so I blamed God. I, um, I didn't know what else I could do. I thought I'd done everything right. It must be God's fault. Either he doesn't exist, or he doesn't care about me, or he can't help me. One of the three can't be my fault. And so I went into this, spe- this the spiritual desert experience, and very quickly I went from being what I thought was a better than average Christian to being a faithless skeptic. I didn't know what to believe. I hadn't seen the power of God in, in miraculous ways in my life. I had just not seen that victory that I had been asking for all those times. And I had said, I, I essentially, I did this. I said to God, I said, God, if you exist, if you want me in heaven, I'm not going to be there unless you get me there. Unless you prove yourself to me supernaturally, I'm not going to be there. I'm done with this. I've tried. And so I went off and I did my own thing for a, for a short time. I decided that I was going to ignore what God wanted me to do, and I was just going to do my own thing. I was going to uh, follow my selfish desires and cravings. What I did not realize at that point was that I was actually on a downward spiral that would have ended up in the depths of sin and despair. But you know what? Even though I gave up on God, God didn't give up on me. He knew that now, finally, he could start working on me. Because sometimes, do you realize that the, that the, the shortest distance between lukewarm and hot is actually through cold? Right? Sometimes the shortest distance between lukewarm and hot is through cold. Because through cold, you begin to realize your helplessness. You begin to realize your sinfulness. You begin to realize that you're not rich, that you're actually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And then God can start working. And that's what he did in my life. So this is how it happened. I was um, visiting my mother at camp meeting, Wisconsin camp meeting. And we were in the evening meeting together. And the the, uh, message that evening was on surrender. And I don't remember a word of that, that sermon to this day, but I do remember one thing. Afterwards, I, began, I remember thinking, I wonder if it's possible. Is it possible that I had misunderstood this thing called surrender all my life and that I had never actually surrendered my life to Jesus? Is that just possible? I mean, it, was, it was an idea. It wasn't a conviction at that point yet. It was like, is it possible? You know, have you ever heard the word surrender before, anybody? Anybody here? Yes, of course you have. You've heard it from the pulpit. You hear it over and over again. You hear it in Sabbath school. You hear it in your peer groups. You hear it in your small groups. You hear it all over the place. But although we talk a lot about surrender, we don't always say much about it. What really is it? How does it work? What does it look like in the Christian life? How can I become surrendered? How can I stay surrendered? How do I even know if I'm surrendered? All of these questions. I grew up in a good Christian home, and I couldn't answer any of them. And so at that point in my life, I began to realize that I had a serious lack of understanding in this concept called surrender. And so I began to study surrender. I decided that I was going to read the New Testament 
And I was going to ask myself for every passage, what does this passage tell me about surrender? What it is? How does it work? How can I get it? All these questions. I wanted to learn about surrender, and so I went through the New Testament doing that. And you know what I found? What I found absolutely astounded me. I found something that Ellen White already knew, and that is self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ. Self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ. And that's so true. You just cannot read the words of Christ without seeing surrender, indirectly or directly, in everything he says. And let me ask you a question. If self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ, then what topic do you think the devil does not want us to understand? Right? What's he going to be fighting? He doesn't care if we have faith in God's power and his existence. He doesn't care if we have even faith in his love. As long as we don't have faith, that brings us to the point of surrender. That's all he cares about, that we don't understand surrender and we don't give ourselves wholly to Christ. And so that was my experience. I thought I had surrendered. I had sung the surrender prayer, uh, song and prayed the surrender prayer, but I had never actually given my life wholly to God. I had kept back some things. I had kept those precious, worthless rocks, not willing to let go of them. <clears throat> And this problem, this, this lack of conversion that I experienced, this helplessness, this spiritual poverty that I, that I experienced is not uncommon, even in the church today. We are told that many look for a special change to take place in their feelings. And this was true in my case. I had these spiritual highs, I must be converted. This they term conversion. Over this error, thousands have stumbled to ruin. Not understanding the expression, you must be born again. It's a rebirth. It's a total commitment. It's a death and then a resurrection. It is not a half-hearted, a little bit here, a little bit there type of thing, which is what I thought it was. So as I began to study surrender, I began to understand more and more about how to become surrendered. And one of the things I learned was this, this thing called counting the costs. Christ talks about counting the costs, and so does Paul. This thing called counting the cost, and counting the cost simply means looking at your life and asking yourself, what would my life be if I actually gave God all my choices? Didn't hold anything back. What would my life like, be like if I actually gave God all my choices? The choices of what I ate, choices of what I did with my free time, with my money, with my time, my, my words, my thoughts, my actions. What if I just gave God all those choices? What would it look like in practical terms? So you look at your Sunday and say, okay, what would I do differently on Sunday if I gave all my choices? And Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and even Sabbath. What would my life look like if I gave God all my choices? And that's what I did. And as I did that, I became astutely aware that there were a lot of worthless, precious rocks in my bucket. Choices that I just was not willing to give God. I just was not willing to, to surrender everything. You know, I would sing the song, most to Jesus I surrender, right? Much to Jesus, I surrender. But never in my heart did I ever sing the song, all to Jesus, I surrender. Well, now I'm going to get really real with you. I'm going to share with you um, one, not one of my many, don't think this is all that I have. I'm going to share with you one of my besetting sins. It was movies. All my life I have loved watching movies. In fact, my, my idea of a good time after a hard day of work, is just to sit down on the couch and watch a movie or three. 
And yet, all my life, I had been convicted personally that this was not God's choice for me. I, I realized that it really didn't meet the bar of Philippians 4.8 that we had read for our scripture reading this morning. Remember, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's any ex- excellence and praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And I knew that that didn't describe movies. And I tried. I tried to give God my, my uh, movie problem. I, I, I asked him for help. You know, I'd have the spiritual high in the Sabbath morning and say, okay, Lord, no more movies for me. I'm giving this choice to you, you know. And yet, when sun came down, uh, my resolutions were like ropes of sand. Even though God had been convicting me all my life on this particular choice, and even though he had been teaching me some reasons why he didn't want me to watch movies, I mean, I knew, at least at some level, I knew that movies instigated unhealthy emotions in me, I knew that they opened up my mind to to worldly values and ideas. I realized that it was hard to eat healthily when watching a movie. Have you ever tried that? (laughs) It's not easy. You know, you would take a bag of potato chips, I would take a bag of potato chips, and I would start watching a movie, and I would only eat one chip, but by the time the movie was done, the the bag was empty, and I was watching that movie by myself, and so I have no idea where the rest of the chips went. You know, it's like, it's, it's hard. You, you have this stimulating mind thing going on. You want to do your stimulating palate thing as well. And so I knew that that was hard for me. I also realized that I was using up a lot of timing, hours. Hours. And even more important, I began to realize that feeding my mind on this titillating, exciting, worldly entertainment made it almost impossible for me to enjoy Scripture. The scripture is comparatively bland, but it's so much more fulfilling, so much more satisfying, so much more meaningful. But the devil tries to do that. He tries to distract us by the exciting so that we won't enjoy the comparative um, simple pleasures that God has given for us. So here I was, stuck to this, this addiction to movies, but convicted that these were one of those choices in that, that bucket that I needed to give God. And as I was thinking about this, something else happened in my life that uh, made this a lot harder for me. And that was travel. At that time, I was an engineer, and I was traveling a lot internationally. And I used to like travel. I used to enjoy it because I could sit in that tiny little seat for hours on end and do nothing but watch movies. It was the great, it was the perfect scenario. What's wrong with that, right? And I could bring some snacks on board with me, you know, and I'd have the perfect scenario. No interruptions, no kids to worry about, you know, just watch the movie. And so I used to enjoy that. And not only that, but as I started thinking about what my life would be like without movies, I really, truly thought I would die on, a, on an airplane for eight hours without watching a movie. I mean, boredom would kill me. Boredom has always been my, ne- my nemesis. Movies were a painkiller for my boredom issues. And so I just could not fathom it. I could not conceive of it. And something really, really strange happened to me about this time in my life. I was studying surrender. God was convicting me. I needed to give him all my choices all at once. I had three international trips planned in the space of three weeks. This had never happened to me before, and I don't think it was coincidence. My first week I went to England for a week and then came back. The second week I went to Ireland and then came home. The third week I went to uh, France and then came back six times across the Atlantic. 
And here I was, God was convicting me to give him movies, and I was saying, this is my travel schedule, God. How is that possible? And so I said to, I said to God, I really know that I need to give up movies, and I choose to give up movies as soon as I get back. <laughs> oh, me of little faith, right? So here I was. I went on the, uh, the first trip. I remember distinctly the first leg to England. I watched a psychological thriller, and when it was done, I, I was depressed, and I was disgusted with myself. Mike, why do you watch this garbage? And so I went to sleep. On the way back from England, I don't remember what I watched, I think it was a couple movies, but, but after that experience, I began to think, you know, Mike, there's got to be something you can do to at least reduce the number of movies you watch. So I packed my MP3 player with good music and good sermons, and I brought all the good reading I can think of on the plane with me, and I said, I'm going to at least reduce the amount of movies that I watch. Well, the next flight was to Ireland, and it was a very, very late night flight. In fact, it was an early morning flight, and I was exhausted. I think I, I fell asleep before that uh, plane took off, and I was asleep most of the time. And do you know what? I never watched one movie on that flight while I was asleep. <laughs> hey, don't laugh. I'll take whatever I can get, right? You know? I was not bored. I was not watching movies. It was a good thing. So anyway, <clears throat> something happened miraculous in the middle of that journey to Ireland. In, in the middle of the week, I woke up one morning, and somehow, some way, I don't understand it, God had been working on me for weeks and months. Somehow, God had finally brought me to the place where I was truly willing and able to give him all my choices, to surrender my life wholly to him. I don't know how he did it. It's a miracle to this day that he was able to do that. I knelt down by my bed right there. I said, okay, Lord, I know that I still have three trips across the Atlantic to do. I know that I cannot fathom uh, doing it. I'm going to die of boredom, but I'm going to die in your hands, whatever, you know? So for the, for somehow God enabled me to be able to say, Lord, I want to do it. I believe you can do it. I give you my life. And that decision, that simple choice, the hardest choice I'd ever made, the most traumatic choice I'd ever made, that simple choice transformed my life. Overnight, I began to enjoy prayer. I began to relish it. I began to be able to look forward to it. Prayer had always been one of those things I knew I should do, but it was such a struggle. And I, most of my life, I had looked for excuses to shorten my prayer time and, and to even skip it sometimes. But now it was my priority. And you know, if we say that we love somebody, but we look for excuses to, to avoid them, we probably need to look at our love relationship, don't we? And that was, my, that was the problem in my case. But when I gave myself wholly to God for the first time in my life, he was able to do a transformation in me that made me actually enjoy spending that time with him. It actually truly became my favorite time of the day. You know, before that it was supposed to be. But afterwards it actually became the most enjoyable part of my day. And I could pray for an hour and hardly realize the time going by and enjoy it. That to me was one of the greatest miracles that God has ever performed in my life. It was like night and day. But God did not only give me um, a transformed prayer life, he also gave me victory over my besetting sins. He gave me supernatural victory over the known bad choices in my life. I was coming home from Ireland, and I, went, I was uh, on a uh, brand new airplane, never been on before, a, a new airline that I hadn't fl flown before, and I sat down in the seat, and you would not believe what I saw on the seat in front of me. It was state-of-the-art, widescreen entertainment system like I had never seen or even dreamed of. Do you think that was a coincidence? 
And as I was looking at this state-of-the-art widescreen entertainment system, I realized it was packed full of movies of every genre, and you could actually choose which movie you watched. Now, for you young people, that's probably, you don't remember the old times when you had this little tiny screen and you just watched what they showed you. And I was so impressed by that entertainment system. You know what I said? Totally useless to me. Totally useless. And it was easy. It wasn't a challenge. I said no. And the devil said okay, and he left. And throughout that entire flight, which I really thoroughly enjoyed, by the way, I never was tempted to watch a movie. Even though the little kid next to me was constantly watching these fun little things and my eye was getting, you know. But I was never even tempted to go there. But you know what? There was something really, really uh, cool about this entertainment system. It had a button called Map. And so I decided if I wasn't going to watch movies, I was going to watch something, right? So I pressed the Map button. And you know what it said? This feature not yet implemented. <laughs> Please make another choice. Do you think this was a coincidence? The devil was really, really upset. For most of my life, he had me. He knew it. Easy stuff. And now he was losing me, and he was upset. But you know, I was amazed at how easy it was to resist that temptation. And I spent that flight, you know what I spent that flight doing? I spent that flight starting to write up the things I began to learn about surrender, which led to this series, Delighting in the Almighty, that I'm sharing with you. That was the transformational experience that I had. And now I'd like to go back to this verse, James 4, 7. Take out your Bibles, and let's look very quickly at James Chapter 4, verse 7. <clears throat> James chapter 4, verse 7. Do you guys know what the, the first part of this verse is? I hope you have it memorized. James 4, verse 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. My friends, the verse begins, submit, therefore, to God. There is an important order here. You can't start in the middle of the promise. You can't start with the resist and expect the fleeing to happen. It has to be, a, the, the order has to be there. The submit comes first. The wholehearted surrender to Jesus comes first. And then he becomes the king of your life. And he's the one that resists the devil and makes the devil flee. And that was the fundamental thing about surrender that I never realized. That was the fundamental uh, truth about victory over sin that I had never realized. I was missing that important part. <clears throat> so I was coming home from France that third week. And as I sat down, my hand automatically reached for the entertainment guide because I had muscle memory. It was just the thing you do. First thing you do when you sit down on an airplane is you look at the, the menu, find out what you're, you know, plan your schedule. And as my hand was reaching out, the Holy Spirit said, Mike, what are you doing? And I said, oh, oh, um, well, don't worry about it. I'll just look. I won't watch. And the Holy Spirit said, what? How, how well has that worked for you in the past? And I said, okay, you're right. All right. So I, I drew my hand back, and I was praising the Lord for victory over that temptation. You'll never believe what happened next. The purser came on the intercom, and movie by movie listed every single movie that was showing on that flight. I had flown on this airline for almost a half a million miles, and I never remembered that happening before. It just didn't happen. You think that was coincidence? You think the devil was out to get me? And one of the movies that was listed was a family-rated G 
uh, rated family comedy that I had been wanting to watch for a long time. It was in the theaters. I wasn't going to go to the theater, but I was going to wait for it to come out. I wanted to watch it. And here it was. G-rated. Family. Comedy. My mind began to get into rationalization mode, you know? It's only G-rated. How bad can it be? And by the way, do you think that those people who make those ratings are spirit-inspired? Right? Sometimes the G ones are the worst ones. You know that, right? And then I said, well, you know, it's a family movie. How bad can it be? It's a, it's a, it's a comedy, and laughter is the best medicine, and I need some medicine right now. You know, I was rationalizing, rationalization mode. But then I remembered, wait, 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 wait. You gave that decision to God. That's his decision now. It's not yours to make. And I said, okay, I won't watch any movies. And you know what the devil said? Okay, and he left. Finally, it's working. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and the devil will flee. But if the devil's not fleeing, if the devil keeps laughing in your face and pounding away at you, you know that you might be missing something at the beginning of that. I'd like to share with you one of my favorite statements from one of my favorite writers. When the soul surrenders itself to Christ, a new power takes possession of the new heart. A change is wrought which man can never accomplish for himself. It is a supernatural work, bringing a supernatural element into human nature. The soul that is yielded to Christ becomes what? God's own fortress which he holds in a revolted world, and he intends that no authority shall be known in it but his own. A soul thus kept in possession by the heavenly agencies is impregnable to the assaults of Satan. But, and this was the but in my life, most of my life, but unless we do yield ourselves to the control of Christ, we shall be dominated by the wicked one. My friends, that is my experience. Before and after conversion, that's my experience. Before and after that surrender experience, before I was dominated by the wicked one, afterwards God gave me victory over the known chosen sins in my life. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I don't want anybody walking away today saying, this guy got up on the platform today and said that he's perfect. I am a sinner standing in the need of grace. I still have serious character flaws. I still make terrible mistakes. I still have failures and flaws and faults and foibles and flubs and all those other... The difference is, is that now God has given me victory over my choices. Over the known chosen sins in my life, the besetting sins that I could not get victory over, he's given me victory over those choices. In other words, God has essentially given my power of choice back to me. I had given it to the devil. I was enslaved to the devil. I had no freedom. But now in this surrender, I am free. Free to use my power of choice. And guess where I want to use it? I want to use it for God. For a couple of weeks after this, this traumatic experience, you know how when you have a traumatic experience, you remember what, where you are in the room? Do you remember where you were on 9-11 when the planes crashed into the World Trade Center? I do too, distinctly. And you know, I remember where I was when I surrendered my life to Jesus. It was, to me, one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. I'm not saying that's that way with everybody, but for me, that was the hardest choice I'd ever had to make. I, did, I remember vividly that room in Ireland to this day. That was a, a, a traumatic experience for me. And for several weeks after this, this surrender experience, I... Uh, suffered spiritual panic attacks. I would have these episodes where I was, I was loaded down with fear. Fear that I, had, that I had given up something that I could never have back. Would I really be able to survive without movies? And, and fear that I would dishonor God and give in again like I had so many times in the past. It was this, this constant fear. And you know what? God gave me power one step at a time to get through that fear, to trust Him. And after a couple weeks, panic attack went, went away and it was replaced by a faith like I had never known before. 
a faith in the power of God. My friends, I believe from my personal experience that a lot of times we as Laodicean Christians have never experienced the power of God working, in the al- working as an almighty God in the surrendered soul. If you had told me that I could get victory over my choices in such a short time, I would have laughed in your face. It's not possible. I've tried. It doesn't work. Because I had no conception for most of my sincere Christian life of what it meant to let God be Almighty God in me, working these victories. Not me doing it. I can't do it. Only God can do it. Only what? Only I can let him. Only God can do it. Only I can let him. My friends, I know that not everyone here has the same struggles I have. Some of you, I know, movies have never been a temptation for you. But I can guarantee you one thing. I can guarantee you that everyone sitting in this room today has at least one of these precious, worthless rocks that the devil tries to get us on. These things that we just don't want to give up. And a lot of times they seem like little simple, small things, you know. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, it's not that big of a deal. And besides, God hasn't finished with me yet. Have you ever heard that? That is one of the most insidious phrases in all of Christendom because that denies surrender. Surrender is giving God the little things. When you're faithful in the little things, he can give you victory over the much. But if you hold back the little thing, you can't. You're victorious over much. I'd like to close this morning with one quick story, and then I'd like to give you the one-minute guide to surrender, just in case you, you want to share it with a friend or you want to use it on yourself, the one-minute guide to surrender. But first, a quick story. I was coming back from Germany. I was sitting in my seat. I was watching people come on board, and there was this young lady and her child, and I, um, they went and sat behind me someplace, and a couple minutes later, there was a commotion back there. I couldn't hear what was going on, but there was some kind of a commotion. And sure enough, a little while later, a different lady had her boarding pass in her hand, and she was walking down the aisle like this. You know, I knew exactly what had happened. It happened to me several times. Somebody, two people on the plane had the same exact seat, and they both had boarding passes to prove it. Sure enough, a little while later, the stewardess came back with that lady, and there was another commotion back there. The upshot of it all was the original lady and her son were kicked off the airplane. How do they make these choices? I don't know. Anyway, and she was crying. I felt so bad for her. I I, I felt, oh, I hope that she can make her connection and get another plane quickly. But you know what? She didn't get another plane because just before the doors on that airplane closed, she was back on board, and she wasn't crying anymore. She was smiling. And she didn't sit behind me in coach class. She sat in front of me in business class. Do you think that during that nine-hour flight from Germany to the United States, she ever looked back at her coach class seat and was wondering what she was missing out on? As she was reclining in that luxurious seat, as she was eating that gourmet food, you think she ever looked back? My friends, most of my life I have been clutching onto this coach class Christian experience called Laodicea Christianity. And God had been struggling to pull this ticket out of my hand and to give me a first-class Christian experience. And do you think I ever want to go back? I want to enjoy God's abundant, free life forever. Do you know what I think would be one of the most fun jobs in the world? To be a flight attendant whose job was to go back to a person in coach class and say, hey, we got an upgrade for you. Would that be fun? I mean, you're just making people's days. This has happened to me several times. It's like, whoa, yeah, wow. I mean, I'm out of this, this little cattle car and I'm up there. You know, that would be great. You guys are doing some fantastic series. Do you realize that that's exactly what you're doing? You're going to people and you're offering them a first-class Christian experience. That is the greatest job in the world. 
Praise God for the opportunity that this church is providing for you to be able to share with your friends and your family and your neighbors this incredible first-class love relationship that Jesus wants to have with each one of us. So as I promised, one minute, how to surrender, and then we're done. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus wholly and you can't, you haven't succeeded, maybe you're like me and you've struggled for 30 years, or maybe you're young and you've never done it and you want a 30-year head start on me, which is what I hope for, this is how you do it. One-minute quick guide to surrender. Now, I have a whole sermon on this uh, in, the, in the series, but this is just the, the one-minute guide. If you want to surrender, you go to God and you say, Lord, I know I need to surrender. I know it's important. I know that I want you to be almighty God in me, but I can't. I have too many worthless, precious stones in my life. It's okay to say that because God knows. And you say, but Lord, I don't want to give up my choices, but I'm willing for you to make me willing. And you know, sometimes we can't really say that with all honesty. We really aren't willing to let him make us willing. That's okay. God knows. Step back a step and say, Lord, I'm willing to let you make me willing to be made willing to be made willing. Step back as far as you need to. At some point, you can say that with your power of choice. You can say, Lord, please do this. I am helpless. Only you can do it. Keep praying that prayer until it is answered because it will be answered. He will get you to the place. It might take weeks, it might take months, hopefully not more than that, but God will get you to the place. If you faithfully and sincerely pray that prayer, God will get you to the place where you are truly willing and able to give your life wholly to him, every detail of your life, all the time. For the first time in your life, perhaps, God will be almighty God in you and through you. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, what a privilege it is to give ourselves to you. How wonderful it is that you've given us this choice to give ourselves to you, to be free from self, to be free from the devil, to be free to do your will and to enjoy the good consequences. Father, we pray that you will do whatever it takes in our life to get us to that place and to keep us in that place, joyfully recognizing that this self-denial is a good thing, that you are working wonderful things in our life, that you are giving us the abundant life enjoying that first-class Christian experience. This is my prayer for all of us. I praise you for answering this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.